0: This program was paid for by the friends and partners of Bruce Downs Catholic Ministries. Well, hello, everybody. It's wonderful to have you with us. I pray wherever you are that you know that God is with you exactly in the place where you are. Today, I'm going to give a radical message I'm going to talk about radical living. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, about the kind of life that we're called to live and that if we were to look at Jesus, that we would have to say is what Jesus did. And to be honest, what we're going to talk about today in some ways is quite scary. Scary because it calls us to be the best of who we could be. Scary because it calls us to live at another level better. It calls us to live above. To be radical, it means to go back to the very beginning, to go back to something in its purest form. We often think of a radical as someone who is a stirrer, and that's exactly in some sense what Jesus was, that Jesus called us to live a radical life. And where there was no, when it's not possible to go back, or there was no prior level, to establish a level. And I suppose in, in, my, in, in, in our sense, we can look at what a radical is, is often a radical is, is someone who's a revolutionary, someone who brings change to their environment. And didn't Jesus bring change? One of the things that I've been reflecting about a lot lately is how neat we've made and I can make my Christian living at times. How safe I can make my Christian living at times. But here in our ministry, what we call people who follow God, impactors. An impactor is someone who has impact, who changes. And Jesus certainly did. A radical is someone often who comes along and proposes a brand new new. A radical is someone that you might see in politics who comes along and demands a substantial change. Uh, it's a person who holds strong beliefs. Some people would even say at times, a radical is even an extremist. Certainly, these are words we heard Jesus called. These are words that, Je- that were pointed at Jesus. And if we're called to be followers like Jesus, maybe we're called to be radical. Maybe sometimes we are even called to be extremists. Uh, so, so I want to talk about what it is to be radical in the positive sense of it and to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to have a look at some of the scriptures because Jesus talked in such a way and it was just right there in front of him. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go to the story of the Sermon on the Mount Now in the Sermon on the Mount, this is where Jesus began to unfold what he would teach would be the kingdom of God. And he began to say, this is the way I believe, I know, I'm convicted, I know it's meant to be. And so Jesus says this in verse 17, chapter five, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfil See, the prophets and the law had pointed to the fact that these were God's people and that the law that God gave through Moses and through history was all about that if you lived this way, you would live according to God's way. And when Jesus came along, he didn't come along to abolish that, but rather to fulfil it, to fill in the pieces where it was missed, it was misunderstood or not being lived completely. So do not think that I've come to abolish the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your rightness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this, when we understand it, this is radical talk. This is going back to the basics. This is, this is for all people who are comfortable Jesus comes along and says, let me make you uncomfortable because in your comfortableness, are you living the way that you were called to live? Because to be honest with you, everybody, there are some of you, it's not enough. It's not enough. And he says, I've come come to get you to come back to the way that it was meant to be done. See, comfort is such an easy thing. Here in our ministry, Among all of our staff, it is so easy to begin to be comfortable. It's so easy once you're doing something a long time to all of a sudden forget radical living, to forget holiness and to settle for a way of doing it that's easy. That's easy. So he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfil it, to fulfil it. Not one letter. I'm going to let pass away. Not one stroke of the pen am I going to say isn't important. He says, I've come to decree what heaven declares and that many things will pass away because the most important things will need to be done. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it the way it was intended to do it. Now, those of you who involved in ministry and in church, those of you who are leaders, in the groups, in the places where you lived, uh, are the things that you're doing being done in the way that they were meant to be done? Or have you become, and the people with you become, comfortable? And in your own Christian life, the way you live your Christian life, have you become comfortable? Now, comfortableness is all about compromise, if we're truthful. It's all about, I know this is what I should do, but this is close enough. You see it in marriages, don't you? You see people who have the standard and the vision of what God intends for us, and people get comfortable. People compromise and go, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, so I'm good enough. But I've compromised on who God is calling them to be. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I'm gonna teach you a new normal. I'm going to teach you a new normal. And and Jesus sets up this new normal and he says, I'm going to combine the old with some brand new things and I'm going to put them together and they will become the new normal. Now, in the the world of Jesus, uh, when he was living, they lived in a world where many of the cultures around them worshipped many gods. They were were polytheistic. They were poly-believing as in many gods, but yet the people of Israel had one God. The very first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength was a great prayer that you shall have no God, the first commandment says, before God. And so, and so, so here's Jesus coming along in a culture that's polytheistic. Many gods that they lived in and said, remember again what you were called to. So Jesus comes along and what does he do? He, he comes along and he proclaims that God is a God of love. And that there's a subsequent way of acting because the one God loves. And so therefore you should love in a certain way as well. And and and, and Jesus says, because people breach this law, breach this rule, that all kinds of problems, all kinds of hassles come to humanity. And so we read in Matthew chapter seven, verse twelve, it says, In everything you do uh, to others, as you in everything you do, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. What's the law and the prophets? Do to others, do to others, as you would have them do to you. Now, all of us, all of us recognise that there's selfishness in us. We see it in children a lot, don't we? In our own children, when they're playing, they see someone else has something and they want it. And, and, and in their immaturity as children... What they want is, I want this all for myself. And adults are a little bit, we're not quite as um, uh, transparent as that in a sense, but but children, we see it. And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, love everybody else as you want to be loved. Love everybody else. Pay attention to them as you want people to pay attention to you. And so what we read in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters five, six, and seven, Jesus teaches a group of people and he says, this is the kingdom. Jesus says, this is the way to be radical. This is the way go, to go back to the basics, but this is gonna be a new normal because I'm gonna add some new stuff to it as well. I'm gonna declare it a new way. And some people found this tremendously hard. Just before it, we read that, that Jesus is, is calling um, Peter and his brother. And then just after it, he calls Matthew. So in the midst of calling people, Matthew, Matthew writes, Jesus is declaring this kingdom. In the midst of calling people. And, 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 so, and, and so if God is love, if God is love, and if God wants us to live according to love, if that's the radical standard, love others as, as, as you want yourself loved, love God first, And that that's meant to affect our thinking, our speaking, our acting. What does Jesus say? Well, have a look at this. Concerning anger. I'll just give you a few examples. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, but I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you'll you'll be liable to to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to hell of fire. Jesus immediately says, and the key phrase is, but I say to you, but I say to you. He says, this is what you've heard. This is what people say. This is maybe the way you understood it to be. This is what people do. But I say to you, I say to you, this is what you were to do. Have a look at adultery. In chapter 5, verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus isn't just saying those who commit adultery go out and do it. Jesus is saying those who even think it. Because now's not the time. Jesus is holding up an image of marriage that will be a direct image and a direct image of what God's love for humanity is. And so Jesus is saying that the impurity of thought... The impurity of compromise that even comes there, even if you haven't done something, even what you think in your heart is to breach the law. Jesus is being radical because there'd be a lot of people, as I've heard many men say to me, and I've heard many say it, I can look, but as long as I don't touch. And Jesus would say, you've committed adultery in your heart. Here's another one. Jesus is declaring this radical, this, what some would say, extremist view. He says this in verse 38, you've heard that it was said. He always starts with, you've heard, you've heard. We've all heard things, haven't we? Today, we may not say we've all heard. For many of us, we would say today, but I've seen it on the internet. I've seen it in the movies. Today, we'd say that. But in those days, they didn't have movies or the internet. So you heard things. And in verse 38, says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them the cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now that's pretty radical living, isn't it? The world today would say, look after yourself. The world today would say, vengeance. The world would say today, but you have rights. The world would say today, think about yourself. But Jesus comes along and Jesus says something fundamentally very, very different. And then let's have a look at another one. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus is declaring a new way, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can I ask you this question? When's the last time that someone did you wrong that you spent a good amount of time praying for? Or did you get wrapped up in what I do? <clears throat> if only I could get my revenge, because right? my mind easily goes to revenge quicker than my mind goes to. I'm going to pray for that person who's wronged me. Right? But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. It's God who makes. The sunrise on the person who's done wrong and the person who's done good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It's God that sends rain upon those who've done the wrong thing and those who are doing the right thing. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus is laying out is a radical new agenda. He's gone right back to the basics of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus has gone so far back that even the religious people of his day declared that he was an extremist, that he needed to be dealt with, that he needed to be killed, that his voice needed to be silenced. Because what Jesus was declaring was a kingdom in heaven that we don't see on earth, but we are called to live on earth. He was declaring heaven's ways here. That's what he was declaring. When we read the lives of the saints, we read the lives of men and women who strived after God. Almost in every case, they're radical. Almost in every case, they're different to those around them. Almost in every case, people would say, well, that's a bit extreme. But that seemed to be what Christians through history have been. And when we stand alongside them, many of us, what we do is we pause, we stop and we go, well, they're at a different level to me. They're they're living at a higher level to me. They're not living the way that I can live. They're more committed than me. It's okay for them. They get the God thing. They're holier than me. But that's what we're all called to. That's what we're all called to be. Jesus seemed to have little time. Jesus had little time for those who used religion to feather their own nest. He seemed to have little time for them. Jesus uh, was interested in heart transformation more than lifeless actions on the surface that kept the law. He had little time for people who said, well, I'm keeping the rules. I'm not doing such and such. I don't do things on the Sabbath day. Even if it's to someone's benefit and even if it's kind, I don't do it because the law says I shouldn't. Jesus seemed to have so much more time for those who were interested in the transformation of the heart and feeling what God was calling them to. Jesus called himself the son of the almighty. Well, that was radical. He challenged how things were done. He challenged them. He made he made a, a whip out of rope and drove people out of the temple who'd beca- who had excessively taken the sacrifices that they were helping people to make in the worship of God and turned it into an industry rather than into an act of worship. How many times in our churches and in our ministries, how many times even here, have we allowed the business of church and ministry to be the thing that we serve? rather than serving God and allow compromise into our heart and into our way in our churches and in the places where we are. People won't like me saying that, but how true is it? You know? Jesus seemed to serve the poor. He served the sick, the outcasts. As a matter of fact, Jesus elevated them. Jesus lifted them up. He celebrated them. He celebrated it as if it was a spiritual state, And yet for those who were wealthy, for those often who were powerful, he had little time for. Because what Jesus was about was the person who had a heart for him. Jesus called people to a radical way of life. And as I've been thinking lately, and I've been praying lately, and I've been chasing after God in my own life lately, I've been asking myself the question, would someone accuse me of being radical or would they accuse me of being compromised? Would someone accuse me of living fully for God or would they say, that Bruce guy, he's a good Christian, but he's a half-hearted Christian because he doesn't live with all his might. He lives with some of his might. He's a compromised guy, but he's better than many but he's not all that he could be. I wonder when I get to heaven, if God will look at me and say, you did well, Bruce. You did well, Bruce. You did what I called you to do. You lived not according to the values of the world. You lived not according to what was possible in your own effort. You lived according to what I declared you should do. In other words, come in, you who are holy before me. See, Jesus had the power to forgive sins and he called people to be the forgiver of sins, not the holder of grudges. He called people to be healed in their emotions and in their minds and not to be people who allowed themselves to limp because they refused healing in their life. He said the kingdom of God was at hand and within people following, if you followed his teaching, and, and you followed his way and you lived it in your life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, he said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. See, Jesus came to say there's a new way to live. There's a radical way to live. There's a way to live completely, totally and utterly experiencing the kingdom of God now. And we see it through history in the men and women of the church, through history, who have yielded their life completely to God, who have made the decision to be radical as opposed to just being, all half-hearted. And can I ask you, what would you describe yourself as? Would you describe yourself as someone who is radical, chasing after God with all your might and all your heart uh, and with all that's within you? Are you living a radical life filled with God's action in your life? Now, Jesus turned around and he said things like, turn the other cheek. Now, when the last time someone hit you, what did you want to do? Get vengeance, turn around, hit them back, or run? He doesn't say run. He says, turn the other cheek. He, he says, don't go one mile when you're demanded to go one, go two. He says to them, repent, for the kingdom of God is right here. Among you. Uh. See, at times the radical, at times the extremist, might be accused of being countercultural. Sometimes the, the, the radical, the extremist, is accused of being, well, too much, really. But a radical is someone who stirs. A radical makes others feel uncomfortable. A radical causes others to run away because they're uneasy to be in their company. Because they see people striving to live the way God called them and they go, that's too much for me. Today, there are people for the sake of keeping people from running away who say, well, just live it a little quieter, live it it a little less, be a little less holy, be a little less full on so that you can have other people around you that maybe aren't. But maybe, it's, maybe it is living the radical life so greatly that is attractive rather than is something that turns away. Uh, a radical recruits. A radical is someone who, has, who affects others because they look and they say, this is the way it's meant to be done. Uh, this value, it enhances the societies that they're in. Um, a radical culture ultimately that people are called to develop around their life is, is to become a dangerous person because you live in a way that God called you to live and not in the way that maybe you are living. Uh, I've, had the, I've had the amazing privilege to have met quite a number of Catholic priests in my life in all kinds of places in different countries and, and, and many of them, not all, but many of them are radicals. Many of them are living a life that consistently keeps them in touch with Jesus in a powerful way. They're consistently living a revolutionary message. I've met many Catholic priests who've devoted their lives to God who are humble, who are kind, who are enthusiastic, who work hard, and yet they're frail, they're sinful, they're human, they're in need of God in their life. Um, And yet I've met these men who have lived radically and and they become the centre of communities of people where God is worshipped. I've met a number of people who are pastors of churches, of husbands and wives who lead Christian churches as well. I can think of them as I stand here right now, who've devoted their lives, who've sacrificed so much in order that other people would be cared for, would come to the love of God in their life. I can think right as I stand here now of married couples in, in the Catholic world who, have, who, who serve others, who lay down their life, who live exemplary lives of living the kingdom in their life and can be accused of being a Christian the way Christians are meant to live. You know, many people can't live with radicals, but they can't. They shun them to the side. They reject their message as being too much. But in the world that we're living in, where less and less people are turning to Christ, is the half-hearted message working? Or is it that we have to have men and women that live their life with the power of God to change people with their prayers and with their words, to change people by the power with which they live. Uh, Jesus once gave, said to everybody, he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one you've got to eat of me. You've got to consume me. And when he began to talk about this, about being so committed to him, many even of his disciples left him. And then in verse uh, John 6:66, 6, it says this, Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, the apostles, do you wish to go away? Do you wish also to go away? Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One Of God, you have the words of eternal life. Peter thinks this teaching Jesus is up is declaring. He thinks it's hard. He thinks it's difficult. But when he stops and he goes, "What's the truth?" He realizes that the radical coming back to the basics of the way that God intended it from the beginning is the only way. He says there is no other way to go. See, something happened to Peter. Peter's converted. Peter is converted to the radical point of view and he begins to see. This conversion of what Peter goes through causes Peter to give his complete life to God's call. Something happens in Peter. Conversion is more than I agree with you. Conversion is more than I think what you're saying is good. Conversion is something that surpasses the will. Conversion requires that we surrender to it. And in your life, the message of Jesus where you are in your unique particular circumstances. Jesus seeks to come to you. Jesus seeks that you would be captured in your emotions and in your soul and that it would totally overtake you and it would outlast anyone else who has any other voice that says Jesus is anything but the full and complete way. This conversion doesn't say make it good for me. The conversion of Peter didn't say make it easy for me or make it comfortable to me. Um, No, what he said was take me to where you are calling me to go, to be who you call me to be. Uh, See, if we don't experience a conversion of heart, you know what we become? We become just someone who turns up all the time. We become someone who says, well, I believe but I'm not fully convinced. We're someone who says our prayers, we believe in God, but we're not someone who's completely, utterly sold out to the power of God in our life. Jesus said that in those who are to follow me will do greater than I've done. Could you be accused of that, of doing greater than what Jesus has called you to? to. See, it's not possible to be a follower of follower. um, without becoming a radical, completely sold out person for God. We'll look at many of the women in history who, who've done so many amazing things in helping millions of people in all the places that women, in all the way they've committed their lives, who've become radical, who've held on to the message of Jesus. It's not possible to do all that God is calling you to do and not be fully, passionately a follower, and in followership of Jesus. It, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the radical call of God that took the message of the gospel to countries far away. It's the radical call of God that causes people to leave their, their families, to leave the places of, uh, of their work and other places to follow what God is asking them. It, it is the passionate call of God, it's the radical call of God Uh, to give unreasonably to needy causes that need your resources, your time, your money, what you have. Christians, all of us are called to be radical. We're called to be different. We're called to passionately and intimately love Jesus with everything that is us unreservedly. He's called to be our food. Jesus is called to be our air, our thoughts, our very life. Anything else is counterfeit anything else. And I want to put this challenge before you. I want to put this challenge before you. And I know some will say to me, oh, this is too much. This is too much. It's too much. Radicals change the world in how they live and in how they talk and how they speak. And can I ask you this question? Does your language set the tone of a person who's following a radical in Jesus Christ? Does your language lift up, build up, Or does it just create someone to be mediocre or maybe even take away? Language either tears up or it builds down, uh, tears down. Throughout history, God has been speaking to ordinary men and women like me and you. And He's been calling people to be radicals, to live for Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with everything that they are. We know the names of some of them. Most of them, we don't know who they are. Most of them don't have the name saint put in front of their name by the church, but in heaven they are. Who might you be? What might God call you? And right now, if you were to open your heart to God and say, God, I wanna surrender my life to you. Forgive me for the times of mediocrity. Forgive me for the times where I haven't walked as you've called me to walk. When I haven't been as full on for you, would you fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to give, and give me the strength to yield to you. You can be promised. You can be assured that God will come to you. It says in the book of Chronicles, God is scouring the earth. To scour means to look intensely. God is scouring the earth, looking for people to strengthen. And so if you say to yourself, this is too much. I don't have the strength. God is looking for you right now. If you would look to Him and say, Come to me. I seek to be radical and to follow the radical who said, here is the kingdom of God. Loving God, I just praise You and adore You and glorify You that You call us to be different. You call us, Lord God, to be fully sold out to Your kingdom, to Your way. Allow us to encounter your You, you within us right now. And Lord God, as You scour the earth, would You see me Would you allow me to live more fully for you, more sold out for you? Would you allow us to live for you, to be more sold out for you? But we'll need your help because we can't do it by ourselves. And that's why, Lord God, we can have our confidence not in our ability, but in you. And our only response is to say, come Lord to me and we leave it. To you. And Father, we thank you that you will cause us to live the basic, strong, deliberate, radical message that you love us and you call us to love all people because you are love. And Father, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Following God in our life calls us to live a radical life. And living with generosity, living with kindness, living with our resources at the disposal of God is to live radically. And I wanna ask you today, if you will help me share the message of Christ, the radical message of Christ, that we are called to love God and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And so look, I wanna ask you, if you will support us financially to share the gospel with more and more and more people, to pray with more and more and more people, to see more and more people come to Christ in a world where often we're not listening today and many people won't hear the message of gospel unless they find it in the places where we're endeavouring to put it. So can I ask you if you would help me uh, by giving your very best gift to enable us to share the gospel uh, better in all the ways we do through the media and in all the places that it goes to. You can go to this address on the screen or you can go to the Give tab And know that what you're doing is living radically for God as we share the gospel with people all over the world. Loving God, we thank you today that you're with us. We pray, Lord God, that you show us your intimate, beautiful, powerful way to live. And we thank you, Lord God, that you call us to a radical life of being sold out for you. And Father, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. I look forward to seeing you next time. And don't forget, wherever you are, God is never far from you. This program was paid for by the friends and partners of Bruce Downs Catholic Ministries.